Hey guys, before we get to the mysteries, we want to tell you about another podcast that we think you're really going to like. Check it out. Hey, true crime fans. I'm Christina, and I'm the host of the podcast Cold Traces, an advocacy and investigation podcast for cold cases. Each season, I investigate one cold case by talking to the family and friends of an unsolved murder victim and to other cold case experts and advocates. I've compared it to a backpack of bricks that I I strapped on when he was killed. There's a lot of questions that need to be asked that, you know, weren't asked. This season, I'm investigating the mysterious murder of David Cox. David's time in the Marine Corps was the inspiration for the hit movie A Few Good Men, and shortly after the movie came out, David was mysteriously murdered execution style, and his killer has never been identified. Join me as I speak to those who knew David best. Subscribe to Cold Traces now on your favorite podcast app. Hello and welcome to Perhaps It's You, an unofficial fan rewatch podcast of the classic television series Unsolved Mysteries. If you're following along, we're on Season 1, Episode 6 of the Amazon Prime original Robert Stack episodes. I'm Samantha, and I'm here with my co-host, Liz. How's it going, Liz? Oh, I'm pretty good. How are you, Samantha? Good. It's a beautiful, sunny day in it Minneapolis. Is. It is. Loving it. I have a slight sore throat, so if I sound weird, I'm sorry. It seems uh, like I sound fairly some, normal. Yeah, I think you sound good. There's right. some early like seasonal colds going around, so I'm sure it's only a matter of time before... We're all before we're all sick, gasping for life. It's just how it how it goes in Minnesota. <laughs> Do you have any updates? This I really week? don't. I don't know if that means that our last episode was perfect, or it might be. Well, not or it was quite. so long that no one actually listened to it, and they were just like, "Great job, Liz." I have a slight update from last week. Okay. Instagram user Mike left a comment to let us know that the reason DB Cooper asked for multiple parachutes is he wanted they suspect to trick people into believing that he was going to take hostages mm-hmm. so that Makes they sense. wouldn't give him a defective parachute. Because, oh. I mean, if he had just asked for one parachute, they could have just given him one that wouldn't open. Right. So that's what they think. Good, that, Good Which makes sense to me. I didn't know that. It didn't come up in any of the research I did. So thanks, Mike, for that information. I do want to remind everyone to enter our giveaway. We're going to extend it for one more week. Next episode, we will pick winners from Facebook and Instagram. We have one person entered on Instagram. So, so they're a winner. They're gar- pretty much guaranteed <laughs> to win unless, unless one of you want to go give them a run for their dad joke yeah, magnet. we haven't picked yet, so you still have time. Mostly because we're just... We little, just haven't gotten around to we, it, really. We're a little lazy right now, so... Go and share any post you want on our Facebook page. <laughs> Do whatever you want. We'll probably enter you. Yeah. And then you'll get a sweet magnet courtesy of my dad. Everyone wants it. Everybody wants it. Well, not everyone. Except but... people that use Instagram, apparently. Apparently. Go like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Perhaps It's You. Leave us a five-star iTunes review. We're really enjoying reading the good reviews we've been getting lately. Thank you to everyone who's reviewed us. It really helps us out. And yeah, thanks for taking the time to do that, which I'm sure is a pain. The people who have been reviewing us have been leaving really thoughtful, long reviews. Yeah, it's super nice. So that's we need the ego boost. We do to keep going. We really do. So that we don't go. What is the point of this? Yeah. Why are we sitting in this dining room talking about Robert's? (laughs) (laughs) It reminds us that people seem to be enjoying our podcast. So we really appreciate listening. Who knew? Yeah. Weird. Are you ready to get into it? 
I suppose. Let's get started. We're on episode six, if you're following along on Amazon. This is an unusual episode because it's uh, there's a to be continued <laughs> in your mystery. Yes. So I'm going to be doing part one, Son of Sam. You'll have to wait till next week to get part two. <laughs> it's a cliffhanger. Uh, they stretch it out over two episodes. Do was you that think necessary? That's how it originally aired. I think so because this seems like an encapsulated segment yeah. with like an intro and a conclusion. That's true. I don't think they just split it up to. If they, if they were going to split up something, they should have split up that Alcatraz mystery that, were, <laughs> that well, takes a whole episode. That we're going to be Ugh. that we're dreading, but we'll get to, and I'm sure we'll be amazing. So I think they just thought this would be a popular mystery, and they sort of wanted to milk it for yeah. for all they could. I don't really feel like there's enough unsolvedness. There's to... no unsolvedness to this. No. So this is Son of Sam Part One. What's I don't want this to sound insensitive, but Son of Sam is kind of a boring serial killer. Yeah. It's just not an exciting story. The police didn't even realize that these murders were connected for a while because they just seemed like gun homicides. And there were actually so many in New York in the 70s that it was pretty unremarkable. Yeah. So it wasn't until he started writing letters (laughs) that they... um, Realized that there was realized. a psycho on the I think they were originally calling him the the forty five caliber killer. Right. And then, which is even more boring. But <laughs> the only interesting things that Son of Sam did was write some creepy letters and blame his actions on a dog. Right. And the name has some good drama, right? Son yeah. of Sam. Yeah. It's mysterious. You know, it's... But actual, like, David Berkowitz, really just not that interesting of a... Figure. I don't no. know. That seems lame, but <laughs> I feel bad saying that. Like, I demand more <laughs> intrigue <laughs> from my serial killers. I want them all to be Hannibal Lecter, but <laughs> I don't know. It's true, though, and I'm sure we're not the only ones who feel this way. It's just not the most interesting case to me, but anyway, here <laughs> with that. Our, our listeners are on the edges of like, their seats. Click. I'm no longer a subscriber. Um, this is about the summer of 1977. There was a lot of murders in New York at that time. But these are specifically, we're talking about the Son of Sam killings, which once people realized that this was happening, kind of held the city in terror. Yeah, people, the summer of Sam. The summer of Sam, where people didn't want to go out because they were afraid of being shot in their cars by Son of Sam. Unsolved Mysteries is claiming that either the murders weren't done by David Berkowitz or they weren't done by David Berkowitz alone. The evidence that they're pointing to is really, really flimsy. (laughs) Really? (laughs) The two things the episode focuses on the most is that the artist drawings based on witness statements don't all look alike. Right, the the people who weren't, most of them weren't even victims. They were just bystanders in the dark on the street. Also, they were acting like the drawings looked nothing alike. I feel like they actually had pretty much the same face shape and nose. They just all had wildly different hair. Wildly different hair. Very, very, I admittedly, very different hair. I don't really know that that's evidence. You're talking about people that saw him for... A split second, maybe. In the dark? In the dark. three in the morning at some of these. And I also was like, these drawings aren't very good. 
So <laughs> I was terrible. I thought it was a little bit, particularly there was like a last one where he was in profile. I was like, that drawing's terrible, and that's not going to help anyone. No. So I was a little bit more blaming. Sorry to whoever this was, the police sketch artist. I wasn't too impressed with their sketching skills. <laughs> They're like, see, look, obviously it was more than one person. These these faces look nothing else. I was like, no. I mean, that's, that's pretty much their only evidence. So, so flimsy. Okay, so the other thing that they focus on is even more, is even more annoying to me, <laughs> if that's possible. Going like, all right, sketches, like, who cares? Okay, the other thing that Unsolved Mysteries spends far too much time focusing on is the Stacy Mouskowitz shooting and the amount of time it would have taken him to walk two blocks. Right. Because there was a witness who had come back from a date, right? And she yes. was, they were triple parked and she saw this, this guy give her a dirty look and it was David Berkowitz. Apparently. And she apparently remembered the exact time that that happened versus when she was in her apartment. We're talking about things that are happening at like 2.34 in the morning. Right. She's t- her, Their apartment is two blocks away from where Stacy Moskowitz was shot. The idea was he couldn't have possibly walked two blocks in a minute when a brisk walk would take two and a half minutes. <laughs> and I was really, my reaction to this was like, fuck you, Robert Stack. <laughs> No. I don't think Robert Stack himself came up with that theory. He did. There were some crazy people they interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries that were convinced. They were like, this is impossible. Like, no, it's not. I just don't believe people's clocks are set so accurately that we can quibble over a minute and a half. Or that her memory was that accurate down to the minute. I mean, maybe you didn't exactly remember it. Yeah. Maybe it was three minutes. I mean... Really? It was if it was twenty they were, minutes. They were I would acting be more like this was something that was like so precise that we should be suspicious about a minute and a half. And I just don't. <laughs> I'm not even sure in like a, a, a scientific lab that I would be like a minute and a half. Where'd that go? <laughs> Where were? I don't know. It just almost exhausts me how dis- I was like. That's not a thing. They had a diagram even that was like, look, they're showing this us on a map. Happen the way. Yeah. Maybe he was power walking or... A brisk walk, Samantha. <laughs> okay, maybe he was running. I don't know. He was murdering people. I wrote down, no, this is not evidence. <laughs> the other... Oh, the other... I almost forgot. The other thing that they were counting as evidence is one of the witnesses who saw him run away from the car after the murder said, I can't picture Bickerwitz running like that. Essentially saying, <laughs> he's too fat... <laughs> No, that's literally what he said. To be the murderer. He said, when I saw Berkowitz in the newspaper, I was like, that guy's too fat to run that fast. (laughs) That was Tommy Zeno, who had a really nice mustache. Do you think Uh, he might get MVM? uh, Actually, I picked someone from one of your mysteries. Oh, okay. I think I know who you picked. (laughs) I remember that mustache. I drew it, actually. Tommy Zeno was just such a funny, like... It's just... uh, just, If you drew, like, a caricature of a New Yorker... From like a Scorsese movie or something, not someone that actually like did anything, but just like the guy that owned the corner shop, or I don't know. He was just like so that guy completely. I mean, obviously, I'm not from New York, and what do I know? But it seemed like you you saw him, and you were like, "Yep, yep, makes sense." 
Of course that guy is a witness to serial <laughs> killings. Like, He's the one that described the long blonde hair. And then in the reenactment, they had that guy with the worst. There's a lot of bad wigs in this episode. The reenactments in this were not stellar, I'll say. We can get yeah, to Kind that of the more. best way. I don't know. Where he comes up and he points the gun and he has that look on his face that's I have my head buried in my hand and I'm just shaking my head. (laughs) So funny. I find this episode frustrating because I just don't, I think they're making something out of nothing. They talk about a suspicious yellow bug that was seen that's not his car. And I I wrote down people are just suspicious of yellow VWs. Yeah, that's a Ted Bundy Bundy. thing. (laughs) Exactly. That's why. They're like, obviously that's son of Sam's car. That's what serial killers drive. There was also an idea that he was only murdering brunettes, which isn't technically true. No. I guess he people found out he did prefer brunettes, but not all of his victims were brunettes. But no. I think that's a Ted Bundy thing, too, where people were convinced if you had long, dark hair that was parted on the middle that you were going to get murdered. People also, and I think this is still true today, assume that serial killers have a type and that they'll stick to it. So, right. like, women who lived in New York at this time were all wearing their hair up. Or dyeing it or cutting it because they were afraid. I mean, that's probably something I would do if there was if someone right, suggested that there was a guy out there killing blondes. I would be like, like, all right, I'm a red, redhead now. You have wig for me. <laughs> um, I would do it, but it just wasn't really true. He, his part of his delusion, I think, was that he would just drive around and if he got a parking spot, he took it as a sign that he had to go kill someone there. Yeah. Like Which literally, the that's most, what he did. The most New York story ever. <laughs> like the much. idea of being able to get a parking spot this is, is a sign. I, oh, one of my favorite things in Unsolved Mysteries when they were talking about the terror that was taking over the city was like, no one was double parking <laughs> because that was so remarkable that people wouldn't double park, yep. which is kind of the opposite of Minnesota. You can't take that as evidence of like <laughs> evidence of a city in terror. Right. Like unlike normal Brooklyn, no one was double parking. <laughs> I feel like I did a really bad job introducing this mystery I kind of assume that everybody already knows a little bit about Son of Sam. But we maybe already it's... told them essentially what they need to know. But yeah, maybe some more details <laughs> yeah. would be helpful. Yeah, so we're talking about the summer of 1977. He ended up killing six people. He wounded eight. Um, he was actually caught because of, a, again, so new. He was caught because of a parking ticket, <laughs> which was by the scene of, of the latest crime, the one that there's a missing minute and a half, right? It was two blocks away. It wasn't by the scene, Liz. Oh, my God. <laughs> In New York, that's by the scene. Right. Anyway, <laughs> um, so the, another sort of serendipitous thing, much more serendipitous than finding a parking spot and then being convinced that means you get to murder someone. When the cop called in that parking ticket, the dispatcher went, Berkowitz? That guy's crazy. He shot my dog. Oh, I haven't... This and is something that, I didn't know about. That dog was Sam. Oh. That dog was the dog that was supposedly giving the orders. That was his neighbor's dog who he was annoyed by it barking all the time. I had never heard that he'd shot the dog. And he shot it and it still lived. That's oh. what a bad shot this guy is. <laughs> he shot a dog and it lived. But anyway, he was sort of known in the neighborhood as a nutter. Yeah. And so when his parking ticket got called in, by coincidence, the dispatcher was his neighbor who said, oh, Berkowitz, that guy's crazy. (laughs) And it sort of clicked in the cop's head like, oh, this crazy guy who shoots things just happens to be by the scene of this crime and got a parking ticket. So they went to go talk to Berkowitz and he immediately said, what took you so long? Yeah. And confessed. The reenactment was super creepy. Yeah. 
I was like, whoa, they cast that guy right. <laughs> they oh really did. God. He looked he was, a lot like him. He smiled up at them from his car with this creepy, like, nightmarish smile and was like, what took you so long? I got goosebumps. Yeah. I mean, it's fortunate that he immediately confessed like that because they basically had no evidence against him. Well, they so in the reenactment, they found, like, a half-written Son of Sam note in the car. Did that really happen? I was also curious because in, in the reenactment, they opened the car. They found the note. The police officers are like, we got him. Let's go get a warrant <laughs> for this car. And I was like, wait, did that really happen in real life? Did they search the car, car without a warrant? get a warrant. Find it. I mean, and that then kind of like, sounds like the 70s. I don't know. That's don't, a good question, I don't know too. if that happened in, in real life. Where are, I didn't explore where it. Where are some of Sam experts? Please, yeah. Write in and tell us how, how wrong I am about <laughs> all of this. Um, I was gonna read the letters because I feel like that's the only oh god interesting okay. part Ugh. of this case. They're creepy. They're creepy and they're they're kind of weird. And Although I I wrote down that his handwriting is better than mine. <laughs> no, it is not. It, it I've chicken scratch. Okay, so the first letter there's really just two of any interest. I would say the first letter he left at a crime scene, which is how they knew that there was a serial killer out there. And how they knew the crimes were connected. So he says, I am deeply hurt by your calling me a woman hater. I am not. But I am a monster. I am. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam, keep in mind, this is a dog. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered. Their blood drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic too. I can't get out, but I look outside the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else. (laughs) That's apparent. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't need to say that. Programmed to spell wrong kill however to stop me you must kill me did not turn out to be true nope. attention all police shoot me first shoot to kill or else it wasn't an issue needless you just walked dramatic. up to the car and and you said oh what oh, took you, you so long me. anyway <laughs> keep out of my way or you will die papa sam is old now he needs some blood to preserve his youth <laughs> he has had too many heart attacks too many heart attacks Ah, oh, me Hoot, it hurts, sunny boy. <laughs> I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. <laughs> I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The vermin of queens are Z, prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life. Blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir. Oh, that's who the letter was addressed to. He was the police officer. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill no more, but I must honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. Who doesn't? Okay. I love people. Doesn't really seem true. (laughs) I don't belong on earth. Yes. Return me to yahoos. To the people of Queens, I love you. Again. I don't think so. No. Quit shooting them then. (laughs) And I want to wish you all a happy Easter. 
Aww. I mean. No thanks, Sir Sam. <laughs> May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for all now, I say goodbye and goodnight. Please let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 <laughs> bang, ugh. Yours and murder, which is how I'm signing all my letters from now on. Yours and murder, Mr. Monster. I'm going to change my email signature to yours, yours and murder. murder. I wonder how my boss would feel I about like that. I like that he signs it Mr. Monster, but people were like, no, son of Sam, which is said earlier in the letter, catchier. Much catchier. Let's go with that. So that's oh, But the chubby behemoth. Or that really should have catched him. <laughs> chubby, yeah, I don't know. That's really what we should have called him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so his second letter he sent to a reporter. I mean, it's a little bit more of the same, but I'm going to read it anyway. Hello from the gutters of NYC, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of N... This is like failed poet shit right here. (laughs) Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies as they are washed away by sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled in the tracks. I am just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in the recent and horrendous 44 killings. I also want to tell you I read your column daily and find it quite informative. Thanks. That's a nice five-star review right there. Tell me, Jim. That was the reporter he was writing to. What will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like because I don't care for publicity. Sure, that's why you're writing the reporter because you don't care about publicity. However, you must not forget sweet Donna Lorena, which is one of the victims, and you cannot let people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me in a while, I want to sleep. No, rather, I am still here, like a spirit roaming in the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest. I... You didn't kill that many people, David Berkowitz. <laughs> I think you rested. Anyway, anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday, or perhaps I will be blown away by cops with smoking 38s. Whatever. If I shall be fortunate enough to meet Whatever. you. Whatever. I meet you. I will tell you all about Sam if you like, and I will introduce you to him. Aw. His name is Sam the Terrible. Don't think that's true. No, not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will ask you, and I will see you at the next job. Okay, I guess that's murder. Sure. Or should I say you will see my handiwork at the next job? Remember, Miss Loria, thank you. In their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation. It just gets like more random. Forty-four. Here are some names to help you along. Blah blah blah. I don't know. <laughs> P.S. Please inform all the detectives working on the slaying to remain. Like they're going to stop? They're like, yeah, who cares? Whatever. (laughs) P.S. again. Please inform all detectives working on the case. I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging. Drive on. Think positive. (laughs) There's some advice. Get off your butts. Knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working on the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. Okay, well. So he tried to plead insanity, and uh, New York would not have it. No. 
I don't think he was well, but mm-hmm. I think he still knew what he was doing was wrong, so that's not criminal insanity. Right. Even if you want to pass off all the blame on your neighbor's dog. Yeah. Did you know this thing about him working for the Postal Service? And yes. like the crazy, like the going postal murders? I mean, he was unwell before he started working for the Postal Service, but the reason it didn't help. that I know that is because there is an episode of Seinfeld <laughs> where Newman claims to have taken over David Berkowitz's route <laughs> and that he has his mailbag. But I think David Berkowitz was actually a letter sorter. Yeah, he I don't, was a letter sorter. Those were the people that went crazy. I don't think he had a, a root. Because they so were... Seinfeld, that was a lie. They... Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Seinfeld. <laughs> so you led us astray. Well, they worked these machines. And I tried really hard to Google and find the name of the machine. But they were basically letter sorters. That you had to sort mail in a certain amount of time. And it was high stress. And a lot of people attribute that high stress working environment. And also, it, like, it was pretty bad on your body you had to lift heavy mailbags into the machine so it was hard on your body it was hard on you mentally and a lot of people went postal that's the that was the a 90s thing yeah where they don't really hear about that anymore yeah i wrote down actually there were at least 20 incidents and over 40 people were killed in postal service hmm. um workplace shootings but how many people work for the post office though i imagine that's a pretty high number there were some percentages it was a higher like in the if you take all of the workplace shootings in the time, like the postal service made up most of them. But yeah, I mean workplace shootings aren't common in the grand scheme of mur- all murders. Right. But a lot of people attribute his working on this machine as contributing to his mental state. Although he was unwell, I mean he was setting fires as a child and killing animals, so he was unwell long before he got to the postal service. But it. I mean, probably didn't maybe, help. Maybe probably didn't help. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would say that he definitely tried to pass off blame beyond the dog. <laughs> he yeah. also tried to attribute it to the fact that he was adopted, mm-hmm. and so people have tried, kind of made. He was supposedly conceived. He was the result of an affair and was supposedly conceived in the back of a car. So you can, if you want draw some connection between him shooting people on cars and and the, that he claims to be traumatized people were just in cars that's how you f- he found them because yeah. they were in they were he, making out while they were double parked he just didn't break into people's houses yeah. i don't know so he he tries to blame it on being adopted he tries to blame it on the dog when we get to part 2 son of sam <laughs> next week you'll find out that he also tried to blame it on Satanism. Unsolved Mysteries favorite topic, Satanism. <laughs> and it, We're looking forward to that one. The case was actually reopened in the 90s because he claimed that he didn't act alone. It was actually part of a satanic cult. Mm-hmm. So that's what's explored as an unsolved mystery next week. Yeah. I don't really think it's unsolved, but we can... Well, it's not. That's why. <laughs> we can dabble in some Satanism. Yeah, it'll um, be fun. David Berkowitz is still in prison, I believe. He was convicted for mm-hmm. six life sentences... He converted to Christianity, and there's a lot of people who idolize him in very unfortunate and creepy really? ways. Yes. I, I listened to, last podcast on the left is a favorite podcast of mine. It's not for everybody, but their heavy hitter series where they do serial killers are really interesting, and they go into a lot of detail. So I listened to their Son of Sam two-parter this week in preparation, and yeah, they talked about how people like idolize him it's really unfortunate and made me feel really gross yeah that's awful but that that's true for a lot of serial killers yeah it's not it's not unique i guess i'm surprised because i don't think it's necessarily because he converted to christianity but a lot of people are like he his soul was saved he's atoned for his 
Which is gross. I'll still call him Mr. Monster myself. I'll still call him the chubby behemoth. <laughs> I think I'm saying that word wrong, but... I think that's what... He spelt it wrong, but I think that's what he intended. Oh, okay. I'm not even sure. Um, we'll go with that anyway. We'll just go with that. The chubby behemoth. He just seems like not interesting enough to be getting that sort of... Attention? Attention, but I suppose all serial killers do, and that's There's people that unfortunate aspect of our society. Write fan fiction about the Columbine shooters, so it doesn't what? surprise me, unfortunately, that... Oh, you don't know about this? No. Oh, I'm... Yeah. I have even It's something less, I wish I didn't know about. I have even less faith in humanity than I did yeah. five seconds ago, and this has been... There's, Get a on, rough week. Go to some of the darker corners of Tumblr no, and you'll find no, thank the you. people who idolize I... the Columbine shooters. Wow. <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that there's people that do the same with David Berkowitz, but it's gross. <sighs> and I wish it wasn't true. I should give credit to the podcast White Wine True Crime for that's how I knew about that dispatcher oh. thing. That was not in the Unsolved Mysteries. They do an episode on Son of Sam. I think it's called Son of Sam, a piece of shit. <laughs> and um <laughs> That's where I, they had watched two different specials about him, which I have not seen, hmm. like a, an ID special and a CBS special. Okay. And they kind of compare and contrast those two. So that's, if you're interested in learning more about Son of Sam, a piece yeah. of shit. Check out their podcast. Check out that. Check out Last, last podcast. podcast on the Left. Yeah. I, I feel like we're, we're going to have to talk about this even more next week. So that might, that might be it for today. <laughs> we'll see. What I thought was interesting is I wrote down, it seems strange for such a mainstream show like Unsolved Mysteries to go into what I perceive as, like, just batshit conspiracy. I mean, I think it's kind of a popular case. It did get reopened in the 90s. I suppose. I don't know how that lines up with when this Unsolved Mysteries aired, but they just wanted to talk about Satanism. That's true. They looked for every opportunity. They, yeah, which... Kind of makes me wonder if Robert Stack was a Satanist. <laughs> no, I'd not be really. cool if he was, but I don't think he was. I don't think he was. Yeah, I, I don't feel like I did a very good job with that, but... No, you did fine. <laughs> That's the end of that mystery. Next week's, uh, the second half of this one, this to be continued, will be more interesting. Yeah. I mean, other than the creepy letters and the dog, there's just not... There's not much to it. They spent a lot of time talking about the two minutes it would have taken him to get those two blocks. Yeah. The, most of the segment was about that, and it was ridiculous. Of course it's he could have just, made that. There's a logical explanation. Yeah. yeah, it's not, no. If it had people's been a, memories aren't that good. People's clocks are not that accurately set. I feel like no clock in my house that isn't connected to the internet in some way is set to the same time. If there you know had what been I mean? a discrepancy of 20 minutes, I would have found it slightly more believable. Yeah. Not a minute and a, a half. A minute and a half. That doesn't count as... Were people there with stopwatches? Like, no. <laughs> this is not sufficient evidence, but we'll talk about the rest of it next week. Yes. Let's let's move on. Let's move on to a Lost Heirs. Good. Oh, Curly Green? Curly Green. <laughs> so this is a Lost Heirs segment, and it is about Walter Green, who went by Curly. So they start out the episode showing this, this little old man whose name is Walter Green, and he lived alone in a small downtown apartment in Omaha. His nickname was Curly, and he was known to be extremely frugal. But he was friendly with his neighbors. He mostly kept to himself, but, I mean, he was... A little bit of a recluse. Not, like, a shut-in. Not a shut-in, but he kept to himself. He was quiet. He didn't tell people about his history or anything. Um, On April 24th, 1978, Curly had a heart attack and died while working in his yard. After his death, everyone was shocked to discover that he had a fortune of more than $200,000. 
But he left no will and no one could find any relatives. Mistake, Curly. Gotta have a will when you got that kind of cash lying around. At the time of Unsolved Mysteries, Curly's fortune was the largest unclaimed estate in Nebraska history. And they interviewed some friends and neighbors who said they couldn't imagine how he had amassed that amount of money, which is kind of weird because it's obvious how he amassed that money. He just didn't He never spent one cent. So he was very slowly cooking beans with a pilot light. That's how he... (laughs) No, that's real. That's a real thing. That's actually what they said is that he... (laughs) For every meal he would, in at lunchtime, he would put a can of beans on the pilot light, and then by dinner time it was warm enough to eat. So that's how he made his a little, fortune. A little tip for you from Curly Green. He also I had, just like saying that name. It's so ridiculous. It is a little ridiculous. But he also had stocks and a valuable coin collection. And, and he, he owned the building he was living yeah, in. Yeah, he owned the apartment where he was living, which no one knew. They thought he was just renting, but no, it was his building. Robert Stack appears on the screen in a cemetery... And he says that it's extraordinary that someone living such a simple life could be so rich. He also gets really poetic and says that it's <laughs> this is not just a story of missing heirs and unclaimed fortune. Oh, no. It's also a sweet and haunting love story. And then we cut to I some old-timey music bit. and a train going through. <laughs> and we apparently flash back to the 1800s on... I yeah. don't know, the Wild West. What are these people wearing? This was not that long ago. They look like this was like it has, a, it has a it has a kind of little house on the prairie vibe. That's exactly what I wrote down. I wrote down little house on the prairie outfits. <laughs> Maybe this is what they actually wore in Nebraska in the early nineteen. I don't know when was this. I don't. Okay, he's an old man. <laughs> God, he's an old, he's an old man in the eighties. I don't know, but it, this seemed to me. If you had replaced, I think it was supposed to be like turn of the century. If you replaced all of the cars that they showed in the segment with horse and carriages. It, it would you could say it was in the 1800s. I don't know who the costume person was for this episode, but they picked out the worst wigs and the worst outfits. Anyway, that's a tangent. Uh, I wrote down they play some podunk fiddle music and we flash back to a train <laughs> rolling by, blaring its horn. Yeah, that's how you know you're in the past, Samantha. That's what the past was like. All of it. So what we've gathered about Curly's life is that when he was 17, he hopped on a train bound for Omaha. Um, he got off in a, near a small farming town called Schuyler. He started looking for work around town, and a guy named Al Rominger rolled up in his car. He worked at a local tavern, and Al offered him a, not only a ride, but also a meal with his family. So, hi, young stranger. Come eat dinner with my family. Yeah, Curly Grain's lucky he didn't get axe murdered. Yeah. Catherine, Al's youngest daughter, who was nine years old at the time, was interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries. She apparently knew him his whole life. She said that they supposed he had come from Denver. Curly said that that's where he had came from. He said that he didn't get along with his stepdad, so he traveled east. And But whenever they tried to go deep deeper into his family or his past, he changed the subject. So there's that. Curly became smitten with Catherine's older sister, Jessamine. He found a job working for a local garage the Robert Stack said the automobile was still pretty new at the time. Oh no, Robert Stack said it was a newfangled machine. <laughs> of course he did. But Curly had a knack for fixing things and picked up on it really quickly. He earned enough money to move into a boarding house and he began to court Jessamine. Mm-hmm. He he would give Catherine money to go to the movies so that he and Jessamine could spend time alone together, which Catherine was fine with. She was like, yeah, I'll go to the movie. She was like, I want them nickels and dimes. Yep. <laughs> Catherine observed that Curly was in love with her sister because he never went with other girls. But as we'll find out later, Jessamine wasn't that in love with him. <laughs> it's a little one-sided. 
Curly left his job to enlist in the army, and he left Jessamine, who began training to be a nurse. Curly served on the European front in World War I. He was pretty scarred from the war, but he returned home to Schuyler, Nebraska, and went to call on Jessamine, who I guess he assumed was just sitting there waiting for him to get back from the war. Sure. That's, she was just looking out the window. That's what women when, do. When will he be back? <laughs> Today? <laughs> that's a great, that was a great voice. That's how people used to talk back then. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. Jessamine <laughs> left Curly to move in with another guy in Omaha. She didn't even leave him. She just didn't sit there and wait for him. That's true. They weren't really together. No. I think he thought they were. But it, they went to the park a few times, as it far as I could tell. kind of sad. Curly went to Omaha to follow her, but and he got a job as a mechanic and a night watchman for the railroad. But sadly, Jessamine moved on. She married another man, and Curly never fell in love, in love again. Catherine... Jessamine's sister said that Jessamine wanted someone who's more educated. Seemed a little snobby. It did seem a little snooty. I felt bad for Curly. He seemed like a good enough guy. I felt bad for him until he moved to another city just because she happened to be there. And I was like, (laughs) ooh, that's stalkery. A little bit. But he remained alone for the next 60 years, never telling anyone who his real family was. He became a member of the Masonic Lodge. Sure. What the fuck is that? Oh, it was like an old man thing. He was that meant he was a mason. Yeah, he was one of the masons. I actually come from a long line of masons, but I don't know any of their secrets. I'm sorry. Oh, that's unfortunate. I know. I just have that um, coin. What are those called? Oh, you have a challenge coin. Yeah, which are very interesting. I should call carry that with me at all times in case. So in case you can challenge someone. Yes. To a drinking game. So, and a, I think you have, you have to be a man and you have to be in a VFW to do that, I think. I think, probably. But <laughs> so old-timey man organizations used to have these things called challenge coins mm-hmm. that I think started in the military, but it was to prove you were part of an organization and if people challenged you, you had to produce the coin or buy a round of drinks. I'm fairly like certain that. that there's a This American Life podcast. There's Samantha's some, the one that, that told me about an it, NPR. It's definitely an NPR podcast. I think it's This American Life does an episode on challenge coins. It was a couple years old. You'd have to go back in there. I'm sure if you Google that, you'd find it. And yeah, it's really interesting, the challenge coin. I'm probably not going to get it right, but you you get a cha- you have to actually be, you have to be gifted a challenge coin or you have to win a challenge coin. I'm not really sure. You can't just get one yourself. And Unless your grandmother passes away and you find it in a jar of wheat pennies in some of her old papers, which is how I have one. So you inherited it, which I think is legit. Okay. And yeah, if you're, in a, bar, man, if you're so. in a bar drinking, you can challenge someone. I'm not really sure how it works, but the, I remember the podcast being extremely interesting. And when Liz said that she had this, I was like, that's a challenge coin. Because I really didn't know cool. what it was. It has the Masonic symbol on one side, which Masons were stone carvers. I don't know that you had to be a stone carver to join, but that's kind of how it started. And then on the other side, it says the like number of the lodge. Okay. But I, it's one of those things people have a lot of conspiracy theories about. That right. the Masons are behind this. I'm sure it's mostly, as you know, I think men do. Men sitting around smoking cigars. <laughs> what do men do? Yeah, what do we men do? Know. It's just, I'm sure it's actually pretty boring, but we like to think it's like super dramatic. So Curly Green was based a on, Mason. Based on this, they just hung out in barbershops. Control. Getting walrus cut mustaches. Well, the actor didn't have a mustache, but <laughs> yeah, big disappointment to us all. Basically, Curly was the cheapest person ever, and <laughs> he had a lot of money. And then they, much like myself, he was the cheapest person ever. He took great pride in being a frugal son of a bitch. He did. They hired a guy whose whole job is to track down missing heirs, which made me wonder who hires this guy. 
Yeah. Is he hired by the city or the state? Good question. He has to get paid somehow. Does he get a cut if he finds the heirs? Maybe. Maybe that's how it works. But he really had no luck. Curly had told a lot of people some stories. They said He had said that his brother died in a shootout, and they this guy tried to follow that lead, and it really went nowhere. He went you know, to Denver because Curly said that he was from there. Didn't really uncover anything. The thing is, this guy didn't talk about his family all this time. He didn't want his money to go to his heirs. He didn't want anything to do with his family. It is too bad that he didn't, like, gift it to the local museum or something. It sounds like he died unexpectedly. Maybe he would have. But That's why you gotta have a will. You have to have a a plan for that money if you're not going to give it to your family. I don't know. Um, A mysterious wreath of flowers showed up at his funeral, but no one ever was able to track down who sent those. It was probably just, I don't know, someone from the Masonic Lodge or something. Yeah, I don't know. There was a cryptic note on it. I didn't write it down, but that didn't take them anywhere. (laughs) There was a cryptic note. So cryptic, we don't even know what it said. Yeah. And kind of who cares. So I looked up after, there was no update in the episode, so I looked up on the Unsolved Wiki to see if, Mm -hmm. you know, he, if anything had come of this. It remains unsolved. Josh Butler was the name of the guy who hunts down missing heirs. He now believes that all the stories Curly told about his brother dying in a shootout, et cetera, et cetera were either lies or exaggerations. He believes that Curly actually was from Wisconsin and that him and seven siblings grew up in an orphanage. However, oh. that's where the lead stopped because the orphanage didn't keep records on where any of but them went. that would went. kind of explain why he didn't talk about his family. So that's pretty much it. That's all they got on this. I was Googling his name and I did find his find a grave page. Oh. And I knew exactly what that was because of Liz's recommendation <laughs> last week. Yes. An anonymous person took a picture of his gravestone it's a very plain marker, very simple. It identifies him as a World War One Army veteran. He's buried in Roselawn Memorial Park in Columbia, Columbus, Nebraska. And a lot of people, not a lot of people, but a couple people had left on Find a Grave. I didn't know this. You can leave virtual flowers and memorials. Yeah. And there were a couple people who left memorials saying that they had seen his segment on Unsolved Mysteries, that he's not forgotten. Aww. It was really sweet. That's so cute. I made an account and left some blue virtual flowers from the podcast Aww. and I left a little note saying you know say hi to Robert Stack for us <laughs> and I love it. the perhaps it's you podcast is now sponsoring curly greens find a great page wonder I, Samantha I you've paid, gone above and beyond with this well I paid the hefty one-time fee of five dollars to remove the ads from Curly Green's Find a Grave page. And That's this is so nice, though. This is kind of what I was thinking. If our listeners you know, go... Cur- you know Curly Green wouldn't have done it. He would have saved those $5. <laughs> he would have. But here's the thing. Curly Green had no family to visit his grave, but he has the Unsolved Mysteries family. Oh, So here's... Listeners. This is so sweet. I feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> listeners, go to Curly Green. Is that, Walter Green is his full name, but maybe we'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Go to his Find a Grave page and leave a little memorial for him. And if you leave a memorial, I'll read it on our next episode. That's so sweet. And you can see that you can go and see it ad-free, thanks to the podcast. <laughs> you won't be it bombarded on the by Viagra pills or whatever. Yeah, it says on the bottom of the page that it's sponsored by the Perhaps It's You podcast. Go leave Samantha, a little memorial. This is the best thing ever. You cannot leave a m- memorial on the, on the app, though. I downloaded the app. And I couldn't okay. find how to leave a memorial. So you have to actually go on a computer and I think you had to make an account, but it's free. And you can leave, like, they have other things besides flowers. You can leave little flags because he was a veteran. And yeah, let's put a bunch of memorials on his page. <laughs> Liz is I getting did such emotional. a crappy job with my Son of Sam mystery. <laughs> and here is Samantha just 
hang out of the park. This took it for this, curly green. Don't act. Don't pretend like this was a lot of work on my part. But it's but. so sweet. It was sweet, and I had, I was really touched by the people who were like, I was also a veteran, and I saw your ad, your thing on unsolved mysteries, and you know, I don't want to talk to my family either. I right. totally get it. <laughs> I get it. So people had left little. I mean, the it's kind of like a, this website. It's a little outdated. You can the maybe, memorials maybe, you can perhaps. leave are like sparkly American flag animations, which yeah, is kind of cute. They have a very early aughts feel to them yes. when people were super into uh, email greeting cards. Yes, but go leave him a message and I'll read it on our next podcast. Want to wipe away the tears now? Yes, for curly green. So he's not forgotten. He has the unsolved mysteries family. May we all be inspired by his cheapness. Really. Yeah, save save a five dollars or something in Curly's honor p- by putting a can of beans <laughs> and, and heating it with a pilot light. <laughs> so that was, that was mine. I also have the next mystery because Liz had to do a two parter, so I volunteered to do both of these. Samantha was like, "Liz, I know you're gonna really phone in the Son of Sam mystery, so <laughs> why don't I also do the third one?" And I was like, "Great!" And then I took a nap. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is an unexplained death, and it's a murder mystery. So so this story takes place in Waverly, Georgia, which has a population of only 825. It's a predominantly black community in the Baptist Bible Belt. Rising Daughters Baptist Church was a social center of the small, tight-knit community. However, it was shattered on March 11, 1985, by the brutal double murder of Harold and Thelma Swain. Harold was the deacon of the church, a county jury commissioner, and a spokesperson for his community. His wife, Thelma, was also actively involved in the church and a pillar of their community. They had been married for 43 years. This is what happened. The night of the murder, Harold and Thelma were holding their weekly Tuesday night Bible class. There were nine women there. One of the congregants stepped out of class early and encountered a stranger in the church vestibule. This was the guy who was wearing the other terrible wig in this segment. <laughs> Look, wigs. There's been a lot of improvement in wig technology in the past 20, 30 years. It's, That's what I've learned from RuPaul's Drag Race. Is, <laughs> yeah. Wigs are... Whew. These were not lace fronts. These were <laughs> Dollar General. <laughs> The man said that he wanted to talk to him, and it's clear who him was, since Harold was the only man there that night. No one got a good look at this guy, but he was a young white male. Harold stepped into the vestibule, and after a brief scuffle, was shot. Thelma ran to him and was also shot. The women who were there ran and hid in the pastor's office. They tried to call 911, but the phone lines were cut. They hid there for a while, and then one woman decided to make a dash for her car to go summon help. Which... That was so brave. Yeah, really. I think I would have stayed in there for about three days before I was convinced (laughs) that that guy was gone. Yep. Same. Same. Yeah, she was really brave. (laughs) The Georgia Bureau of Investigation was brought in to investigate the case. There was a massive manhunt, but they really didn't find anything. However, there was a lot of physical evidence on the scene. There were bullet casings, a pair of eyeglasses that people think were dropped by the killer because they didn't belong to anyone who was at the church that night. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, do you believe Robert Stack when he was saying these, like he was holding eyeglasses and he goes, these are the eyeglasses. I was like, why would you have that evidence? Do you believe just, those were really I actually them? know how they have that evidence. And I'm going to talk about it in the oh. update. So just remember this. But yeah. Okay. Sorry. In the episode, Robert Stack was holding the glasses and he gets super, I don't know, grave about it. And he's like, were these the glasses of the killer? He said that they were pockmarked by a welding torch. 
I don't know how you could possibly know that. Wouldn't you mean... I, am I a glasses expert, Samantha? No, I'm not. They were cheap busted glasses, though, is the point. And they were also really thick. They were for someone who had extreme farsightedness. They just assumed it was from the killer because no one there had glasses like that. Apparently, or no one wanted to admit that their glasses were that ugly. Uh, maybe. <laughs> so no, no, that's not it. They were evidence. <laughs> the theory began to form that this was a transient. Apparently transients would come through the town from time to time. However, nothing was stolen from the church or from any of the victims. They did a composite drawing. Um, the woman who saw the killer did the drawing, and I don't know. It wasn't a very good drawing again. To me, I thought it kind of looked like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and she, it's evident because they, they interview her, they don't show her face, but they you hear her voice, and she says she never really got a good look at him. So she was yeah. she was not confident at all that she knew what this guy looked at looked like, but they still used her to create a sketch. It was it was not a good sketch. No, it I, barely looks like a person. On July fifth, nineteen eighty five, police in Telefane, Georgia, pulled over a car for a traffic violation. In the trunk, they found an automatic weapon and a submachine gun. I don't know how this is evidence since he was shot with a pistol, but whatever. They took three suspects into custody, including Donnie Barentine. Then someone sent an anonymous tip to the police that Donnie had told some people in Florida that he had murdered a black preacher and his wife in a church. But after several interviews, he admitted that he had said that, but that he was just lying and making something Who up. Who wouldn't want to claim that? Oh, my, what? He was probably just a racist. That's probably what they say all the time. <laughs> you know how I'm cool. No, I can't even say it. It's yeah. so appalling. It is. But that's what he said. He What a dirtbag. He did fail a polygraph test, and he sort of looks like the sketch, but not really. Failing a polygraph test is not evidence. There's a reason those can't be admitted in court. The police never had enough evidence to convict him. The woman who saw the killer in the church vestibule picked him out of a lineup, but she was not confident in it. She actually said his face didn't look like the man I saw, but his boots did. Yeah, that's they do sell multiple pairs of boots, right? I mean, like men's shoes all kind of look alike. So they I don't were really like, know. if the reenactment was accurate, they were more like cowboy boots. But again, there's there's more than one pair of boots. Yeah, they did convict him of weapons charges, but they never pursued murder charges. What Unsolved Mysteries left out is that they got DNA off those glasses and they tested it oh. and it didn't match him. Oh, so it's I don't know really, why I don't know really why they not. didn't mention that in Unsolved Mysteries, but that's why they didn't pursue charges was because and actually there's another reason, but we'll get to that in one second. A year later, Ooh. an agent came across a face in a state crime bulletin that exactly matched one of the sketches. They did like multiple sketches of this guy. They all looked very different. Again, just like the son of Sam, they yeah. all look different. But Which this one, this, this was actually a satanic cult, Samantha. <laughs> a group of, there was five people in there. It did look exactly like him. Do I think that that means that it was him? I don't know. It was interesting because the mysterious suspect, they didn't know who it was. It was just another sketch of a, a, a guy who had robbed a church in Kansas but the Kansas Bureau of Investigation had no idea who it was. All they had was the sketch. They didn't even have a name. So that's all they. they that's Why all the Georgia they have Bureau a sketch, but not an, a name. That doesn't make any sense. Because to it was another situation where this guy robbed a church. Someone saw him, but they didn't catch him. Oh. So they created a sketch, just like this case of that guy, and then they put it in this crime bulletin. And this guy came across it. And he's like, "This looks just like this guy," and it did. Like, it right. could have been the same sketch. Just one had glasses and one didn't. And but they never found out who either of those people were. Hmm. And then. I decided to Google because there wasn't an update again in the, but I was like, 
something has happened in this case. There's no way it's still cold. I did some Googling, and the first thing I saw is a hilarious article from the Denver Post about those glasses. (laughs) It says, key evidence goes missing in Georgia church murders. Oh, I know who has it. Robert Stash. (laughs) Sheriff's deputies were so eager to solve the murders of a southern Georgia church deacon and his wife that they sent a key piece of evidence, a pair of eyeglasses, to Unsolved Mysteries to film on TV. What? (laughs) They really did? They really did. So this article interviews a Georgia... Bureau of Investigations guy, special agent named Joe Gregory. And Joe says that the case remained cold when Unsolved Mysteries filmed a segment about it in 1988. As Gregory tells it, producers contacted Sheriff Bill Smith and wanted those glasses. And then without asking anybody, Sheriff Smith just up and sent them out there, which totally broke the chain of custody in the case. Gregory said... (laughs) Gregory said that he never saw the glasses after host Robert Stack appeared on the camera holding them in his bare hands. And then Robert Stack died and they never got those glasses back. Unsolved Mysteries. The Denver Post called Unsolved Mysteries and the woman they talked to said, we don't know where they went. Sorry. However. Unsolved Mysteries. I give you so much credit for all of these cases that you solved. You like unsolved this case. Well. By disposing of key evidence. Robert Stack, shame on you. Remember how you feel right now laughing about this because this article is about to get real depressing. Oh, Samantha. It says that the show triggered hundreds of tips. One came from a Camden County resident named Jane Beaver who said that the composite sketch of the shooter looked just like a man named Dennis Perry, a boy her daughter used to date. Which, by the way, I saw a picture of this guy. Didn't look like anything like the sketch. (laughs) She just got the vibe. I think she just didn't like this guy. Beaver said that Perry had phoned her daughter the weekend before the murders to say that he was visiting his grandparents' home in the Swains neighborhood. And he apparently had had an argument with the Swains at one point. I don't know what it was about. But this was a week before. She's like, he was in town the week before the murders. I know he did it. Investigators initially cleared Perry. This is the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. After establishing that he was working hours away, six hours away in Atlanta the day of the killings. Also, his DNA was tested against the DNA that was found in the glasses. Didn't match. The Georgia Bureau of Investigations guy named Gregory, who they interviewed for this article, said Perry didn't do it, plain and simple. And that's why we cleared him. However. I'm on the edge of my seat. No (laughs) The article goes on to say that without the glasses or pretty much any of the physical evidence from the crime scene, Camden County officials still convicted Dennis Perry of the murders, even though he enjoyed 20-20 vision and had no need for a prescription to correct extreme farsightedness. Oh, no. Yep. Samantha. 13 years after the killings, Sheriff Smith, the same guy who sent the glasses away, hired a special investigator who worked exclusively on solving the cold case. This special investigator decided to follow... Yeah, he felt so bad about sending those glasses away. Ugh, this investigator decided to follow this lead, this lead that Ms. Beaver sent in by, and pursued Perry as a suspect. Perry, the investigator says that Perry admitted to the murders. However, Perry said, no, I didn't. The guy put <laughs> words in my mouth. The investigator didn't... Dec- didn't comment for this article, and sheriff's deputies have no tapes showing that Perry confessed at all. They just said that he said he did it. We got him. And he was like, no, I didn't. Um, yeah, that doesn't sound like they coerced it out of him at all. At the time of the trial, they couldn't account for the missing glasses because they had sent them to Unsolved Mysteries. They that's, said, no, that's still the funniest <laughs> thing. We want those. He couldn't have just held some other pair of glasses. I don't know. But also missing was a pair 
where the was the metal phone box that had visible fingerprints on it, probably from the killer when he cut the phone lines. Also missing was investigators' notes that they took the day that they interviewed Perry, which said that he was working six hours away. We're just, oh, we, we can't find those notes. What? This is the poorest handled case. <laughs> yep. And it gets worse. At the trial, no. Jane Beaver's daughter poked holes in her mother's testimony by saying that she didn't know what her mom was talking about. She's like, I, maybe he was in town the week before. I don't remember saying that. The week before isn't evidence anyway. Nope. She said, I have no idea where he was the day of. and Oh, uh, he was working. Right. And that seems to have been confirmed. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation said, we cleared him because he had an airtight alibi. But the county pursued charges and the jury convicted him. This is awful. Here's the other weird thing. The DNA results didn't match Perry or Barentine. And they had tested the his DNA before this trial and the results showed that it they didn't the DNA didn't match Perry, but Perry's lawyers didn't enter that into evidence because they also didn't match Barentine and his lawyers were trying to put Barentine forward as an alternate suspect. So they uh. thought it would hurt their case. If because if they brought that into into yeah, evidence, yeah. the prosecutors would have said, "Well, does it, it match be. Barentine?" And then, you know, it would hurt their case. That's not a good decision. No, it wasn't at all. Also weird was that the prosecutors gave Barentine immunity in exchange for testimony that he gave at the trial, saying that he was there the night of the murders and that he saw Perry do it, even oh though the witness God. only saw one person. Later, the district attorney said he couldn't remember why he had put that in the immunity. He's like, I can't, I don't remember why I said that he was that he was there. Because he wasn't there. There was only one man there. So it was either one of them. Neither of them had matched the DNA. Uh, and then are you ready for the worst part of the story? I don't think I am, but go ahead. So I'm reading this and I'm like, surely there is a Nebraska Innocence Project on this case. Someone is working to exonerate this man. There's no way he did it. Yep. Nope. Before the trial, Perry refused a plea deal that offered him a reduced charge of voluntary manslaughter in exchange for 12 years in prison. Because he's like, I didn't do it. The evidence is going to show that I didn't do it. I'm not going to jail for 12 years. But he was convicted of capital murder. So he was facing the death penalty. And the state said, look. Oh, my God. The state said, look, in exchange for not giving you the death penalty, we'll give you two life sentences. But you have to waive all rights to appeals. (gasps) So he can't appeal this. He said, yes, I don't want to die. So I will spend the rest of my no! life in prison and I won't appeal. Is he still in prison? Yeah. He's what? still there. What? Yeah. And he's never getting out because he waived his right to appeal. He can't appeal. And because he... Samantha, we have to break him out of jail. <laughs> he didn't do it. Isn't this horrible? This is horrible. And I blame Robert Stack for coaching those classes. <laughs> it really wasn't really Robert Stack's fault because they lost all the other evidence too. They lost the fingerprint. They lost their notes. They His lawyer didn't even enter the DNA evidence. Oh, <laughs> this is awful. I mean, if his lawyer had entered the DNA evidence, I'm sure the prosecutors would have been like, well, we lost it, so blah, blah, blah. But this jury, man. Yeah. A, well, the jury never heard that his DNA didn't match. Oh, my God. So, I mean, in their defense. I mean, on this show, we're not going to ever be talking about cases that were handled well. <laughs> Because they're not mysterious, right? Like, if the police came in and did a bang-up job and handled everything perfectly, yeah, there's really no mystery there. So we're only going to be talking about cases where the police did a bad job. But this is, like, spectacularly... Horrible. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. I am just blown away by 
how awful this is. Yeah, this guy is spending the rest of his life in prison because... For a crime he did not commit. Miss, this beaver lady is the worst. Yeah, she just didn't like her daughter's boyfriend. So yeah. she gets him convicted of capital murder. What a yeah. bitch. She's... Though, yeah. Did they so, ever find out who really did it? Well, no, because they're like, we got the right guy. He's uh, in prison. <laughs> uh, case closed. Although the GBI is like, this guy didn't do it. The guy they interviewed for this article openly was like, the sheriffs are a bunch of idiots. And this oh, guy absolutely did not idiots. do it. So, I'm gonna, sorry I'm gonna, for that one. <laughs> I'm going to cry now. It really did start out as a hilarious article. I was reading it, laughing my ass off. And then I was like, oh. You're like, unsolved oh, mysteries. Oh, <laughs> it ruined my night. What I thought was weird about this before I knew any of that was we're talking about a white guy going to a black church and killing a black cheap preacher. And unsolved mysteries never looked at it like it might be racially motivated. Yeah. Apparently, neither did the police. Which... I don't know if Unsolved Mysteries, that was like too quote unquote political for them or something, but that just seemed like a kind of obvious angle to me. Right. And it's not like the guy went in there and shot indiscriminately. He's like, I want to shoot that guy. Right. So. And robbery didn't seem to be the motive since he still had money in his wallet. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I really make anything of that transient theory. I don't know. Because it's really easy to blame transients which yeah, is not is. a great term but it um, was interesting to me that the guy whose faith whose sketch matched the other sketch had robbed a church in yeah. kansas so i'm like well maybe it was a guy who was robbing. maybe there was a it was a robbery gone wrong that's possible yeah it's also highly likely that it was racially motivated yeah but they and now this innocent guy is just samantha we gotta break him out <laughs> we should write to him or something we should yeah oh i feel really bad i was that's the awful. only in these wrongful convictions, a lot of times someone's fighting to try and get these guy these people out. And so that's the hope. That's the hope one. that maybe they'll get out. But this guy waived his right to all appeals. They shouldn't be able to take away your right to, to appeal. threaten to kill you yeah. in exchange for you no. never being able to appeal. I hundred percent agree. People should always have the right to appeal. It's like we'll murder you or stay in jail forever. Yeah, Those were his only options. That's yep. awful. Uh huh. Absolutely. Samantha, so, what a downer. Sorry about that one. Those were the mysteries for this episode. Who knew that that would go so many places that the Son of Sam mystery really didn't go? But give yourself a little a little pick-me-up, a little, and go leave a memorial on Curly Green's Yeah, I almost cried because that was so sweet, and now I want to cry because this is so the horrible. world is so unjust and unfair. Oh, yep. Uh, and it's just been a, a long week. And <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. Okay, well, let's, let's move on let's to rating rate this the episode. episode. I mean, in terms of mysteriousness, I think it's pretty mysterious mm-hmm. if you don't count Son of Sam. The problem is, <laughs> yeah. The problem Son is, of Sam is not mysterious at all. If you put it into context and you're like, if I was watching this when it originally aired, would I have thought, or if I didn't know much about Son of Sam, would I have found it mysterious? We are true crime addicts, so we've heard the Son of Sam story a million times, and we're like, this is fucking not mysterious at all. Yeah. So, that I think one, I'm gonna give it a thumb sideways for mysterious. I'm a thumb sideways, too. The mystery at the end was very mysterious. Yeah, Who I actually didn't, killed those... I didn't realize that would be so mysterious. Those people. So, yeah, I'm a thumb sideways. sideways yeah. too. Yeah. How were the reenactments? The reenactments were so bad, they were good, in my opinion. I mean, I really liked the old-timey curly green reenactments. Those were so hilarious. Where... You couldn't tell what century it was. There was, I expected like a mule using a spinning wheel. Like it just was so folksy. The women sitting on the porches 
might as well have been churning butter. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoyed that greatly. Because it's like when you go to an old-time town that has reenactors, you know? <laughs> and they, like, yeah, teach you about churning butter and how to make candles. That's what it looked like. Yeah. So that that was kind of the adorable. The Son of Sam reenactments were really funny. I appreciated that they put Tommy Zeno in one of them. Yeah, and clearly he was wearing he was like, like a, a blue windbreaker. And he be was like, like having a good time yeah. being in that <laughs> this reenactment. Was the highlight of Tony Zeno's he, life. He's like he told everyone he ever saw, like people on he the subway. On yeah, Mysteries. you're gonna see me on Unsolved Mysteries. He's probably talking about it right now. Probably. The actor who they put in that ridiculous wig, so funny. Yeah, I would say this episode had very bad wigs. Yeah. The um, part where they arrest Berkowitz in the car, they did a good job with that. Super creepy. That actor should have got a fucking Grammy. <laughs> Is that the award that you no, get? That's, that's the music the one? <laughs> he should have gotten a Grammy. <laughs> I would give him a Grammy. This is how not in tune with pop culture I am. I don't even know what the <laughs> fucking Grammys are no, for. No, that's fine. What's, I think an Emmy. An an, Emmy. Okay, yep. <laughs> Whatever. I didn't know what the Grammys are for. I'm tired, folks. Listen. How did you think about the fashion? I at one point wrote down that Robert Stack was wearing a really nice sports coat. It had like a good texture to it. <laughs> but boring. Other than that, Again, boring. More. A lot of boring. It, he, it was a lot of more like banker attire. I think there was a trench coat, but yeah. unremarkable. Mm. MVM. Who did you want for MVM? So I wanted from your second mystery the tra- the tragic unexplained death. The detective had a good mustache. Yes, that I did. that I scribbled here, and it kind of just looks like I drew a volcano. <laughs> So Your illustration I, is great. We should get a really, picture of it good for thing Instagram. I, good thing I went to art school. You can tell from that scribble. So that's who I was picking. I would go with him, too. I was thinking Tony Zeno just because he was so comical. He's got the attitude. Right. Maybe we could have people vote between the two. Yeah. Who do you think? Do you MVM? want the, the typical New Yorker guy, or do you want someone with a mustache like a volcano? It was a cop mustache. Yeah, sure. it's it very was, cop. It's was that really the, thick. Was that the GBI investigator? I can't even remember I think it now. Might have been. Because of course, instead of writing a name, I scribbled a mustache. <laughs> I was like, "This MVM, this." I'll remember him by this mustache. Yeah. All right. Cool. Oh, oh was there other fashion? Other notable fat? I, I mean, I other than the old timey hilarious house on the prairie dresses, I don't remember some great like. <laughs> I'll give it a 80s, thumbs up 90s. just for those. Yeah, I, I mean so that funny. is. And then for Robert Stack, I'm a thumbs down. Yeah, who cares? That's a <laughs> that's a boring one. So do you have a recommendation? I do have a recommendation. We're recording this at the end of the week that started with the Las Vegas yes. massacre, mass shooting. So it's been a stressful week for everyone. It's been depressing. It's it's hard to watch. It's hard to turn on any media really it's the internet the yeah TV. it's really it's been difficult i mean i'm not personally affected by that in any way and it's still been just yeah just an awful week this mm-hmm. happens far too frequently yep. i think on the show we can have a good time discussing possible conspiracy theories yeah. like was db cooper really a lizard man uh, like that's always that's amusing. The, the fact that people think that the Earth is flat is amusing. Mm-hmm. Or there's people who don't believe the Moon is real. Look into that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. But then Samantha and I earlier in the week were talking about people who don't who believe that the Las Vegas shooting was conducted by the government so that they could come take our guns away. I found that very upsetting 
and I, stressful. I found it upsetting when I accidentally came upon a post like this on my Facebook page. <laughs> because someone who I forgot I was friends with had commented <laughs> on it. And I was scrolling through. I'm like, what's this? Oh. Oh. And then I saw how many people had commented and shared this yeah. post. And then I was like, what? I'm, I weep for this world. I, I don't even know what to say to that. If I die at a mass shooting, is there a way for me to prove that I'm real right now? Like... Is this podcast Not to these proof people. enough? There would, there's no proof that could exist that would convince people like this that I they're wrong. exist. There just isn't. You can't reason with that kind of stupidity. You can't reason with that kind of crazy. You just can't. So Because the same thing happened after the Newtown shooting. And Children died, and people were calling that a false flag operation. Yeah. This, imagine being a parent, and you're being told your dead child didn't even exist. Yeah. So people who make claims like that, there's no, you can't, you can't, there's, you can't do anything for them except try and cut the money. If they're in your life, just, <laughs> just cut, the, just cut yeah, them out. Yeah. They don't deserve for you. That's all contact. you can do. Yeah. That's all you can do. Um, so anyway, my point was we're all kind of stressed out. Uh, it's been, I don't even know if I should say a horrible year, a horrible couple of years, a horrible decade. <laughs> I think we're all, it shows some human resiliency that we're all still trying to go about our lives while everything is crumbling <laughs> around us in the apocalypse. My recommendation as a result. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's your oh, recommendation? Yeah, my recommendation is acupuncture. Oh, yeah. Okay. I volunteer at a community acupuncture clinic in Minneapolis called South Point Community Acupuncture. Um, but it's part of a co-op. If you go to pocacoop.com so p-o-c-a-c-o-o-p.com you can find a community acupuncture clinic near you and the reason that i suggest that in particular is that acupuncture can be kind of expensive so it's not something in general i would recommend but community clinics where you're getting treated in a room where there are other people and you're kind of all lounging around in, I'm not joking, like recliner chairs. It's like a big living room. Then it's sliding scale, and it's a lot cheaper and a lot more affordable. So the place where I volunteer, you can get treated for as little as $15. And it is really helpful if you've been feeling stressed out and anxious like I have. There's been, I don't know. You can look into it. There's studies about its effect on stress and its effect on anxiety. That's really nice. I actually used to think that acupuncture was complete bullshit. And it wasn't until multiple doctors <laughs> told me, you know, that would probably be really helpful for you that I eventually tried it and then was converted. Yeah. So I would recommend that if you've been feeling stressed out by current events, maybe give that a try and relax. I literally will fall asleep there and like take a little nap and I wake up feeling so refreshed and so much better. Oh, how nice. So, That's a really good option. I think a lot of people probably think that a treatment like that is out of out of the realm of possibilities for them. It does seem like a luxury. So a community clinic like that is sounds like a really nice Yeah, option. it's a lot more affordable and it's something you can look into if you think that that would be helpful for you. That's a really nice recommendation. Thank you. I'm also going to add one of the many reasons that Minnesota is awesome is that I know Minneapolis area hospitals like ERs offer acupuncture, mm-hmm. which a I find of, amazing. A lot of emergency rooms, my mom had a heart attack last year, and I've discovered that a lot of hospitals, emergency rooms are offering alternative medicines. So yeah. we had a whole aromatherapy like specialist come in. That's and amazing. Give us, she didn't really want it, but I took it. Because 
I needed sure. it at the time. She's doing great now, by the way. But <laughs> I was like, that's really nice. You know, they, they'll try things instead of drugs. For instance, if you're feeling anxious, obviously they'll still give you whatever you need in the end. But, you know, we had a lovely aromatherapy session. At least I did. Oh. And I helped my anxiety. <laughs> so I thought that was just really nice that they're offering alternatives. Yeah, I know that that, at least in Minnesota, there's an, an initiative right now to try to cut back on painkiller prescriptions mm-hmm. because there's such an epidemic of, is it opiate? Yeah. If I'm saying that word correctly, opiate, opiate addiction. Yep. So they're trying to get people to do other types of pain management and acupuncture is something that they're they're trying out for people. Anyway, that is my recommendation for the week. Go see awesome. if you can get some cheap acupuncture by you. That's great. <laughs> well, my recommendation is a podcast. It's one I discovered this week and I'm really enjoying it. It's also been sort of a nice break from reality because it's a fiction storytelling podcast. Oh. So this podcast is called Deadly Manners and you will know in a moment, Liz, why I love this podcast. <laughs> so it's a 10-episode dark comedy murder mystery series oh. in, set in the winter of 1954. It follows the events during the night of the affluent Billings family annual dinner party with their distinguished eccentric guests. However, all is not fun and games as shortly after the party starts, a snowstorm begins to rage outside, trapping all of the partygoers inside their host's mansion. When a murderer starts killing off all those in attendance, the guests must figure out who is responsible, or at least how to stay alive, lest they be next. So there's two episodes out right now. It has a very Clue sort yeah, of vibe to that it. that sounds awesome. It doesn't take itself very seriously. It's sort of comical. Little, yeah, a little campy. It stars Kristen Bell, Dennis O'Hare, Alicia Bow, RuPaul, <gasps> Anna Klumski, what? Timothy Simons, Michelle Visage, Alona Tal, David Cummings, and is narrated by Levar Burton. Oh my god, I'm totally listening to the this. The whole reason I listened to this was because RuPaul's in it. Yes. I don't think Ru has been in either of the episodes that are out yet. <laughs> There's only two. But that tells me something about the tone of it, which I am immediately like, yes, what? It's it kitschy does. and campy? It is kitschy and campy. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and I'm I loving love it. it. And love I'm, it. I don't gravitate towards storytelling podcasts. I listened to... Dark Knight, I think is what it was. It was like a horror. Darkest okay. Night. I can't really remember what it was called. It was good. I liked it, but it wasn't my favorite. This one I'm really liking. There's only two episodes out right now, chapter one and chapter two. They're like 20 minute episodes. They're pretty short. Easy, oh, okay. easy to consume in one sitting. And I'm looking forward to Rue. I don't know Who? what character Rue is going to oh be. My goodness. I, think I had no idea about this. This is such a good recommendation. I was listening to Criminal because their recent episode was about horses. And I was like, oh, I'm going to listen to that. And they had an ad for this podcast. And I was huh. like, sign me up. I'm going to listen. I subscribed immediately. Wow, these ads really work. It's really good. I can't wait until I get my Casper mattress. <laughs> the, there's the butler, whoever plays the butler is hilarious. He like apparently sneaks up on people and is like, ma'am. But in a super deep gravelly voice. I love it already. Yeah, I really like it. So, Oh, that's a good one. Go listen to that if also you want to just escape reality we- for a little while. I'm glad after that downer of the last mystery, we were able to give people some sort of yeah. palate Go cleansers. to your local co-op acupuncture clinic. Yeah. Put in your headphones and listen to Deadly Manners. Absolutely. Take a little some, snooze while listening to a podcast. You'll feel better. You'll be in a better state to fight another day yep. in the apocalypse. Exactly. <laughs> all right. That's all we got for you. Go subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Perhaps It's You. 
Email us at perhapsitsyoupodcast at gmail.com. And go, I don't know, solve a mystery. Yeah, go solve a mystery. Bye, five listeners. Bye.